We are looking at the end times. And the question is, oh, wait, we have to say hi to Cindy. Cindy. Okay, ready? One, two, three. Hi, Cindy. Uh, Hello, Cindy. Because uh, you can just walk down the street and say hi to her. That's not even fair, yeah, is it? Just walk back up. <laughs> <laughs> Going down the hill is no problem. That's what I've been doing last night. Oh, uh, all right. So we love you, Cindy. We love you. Yeah. And we're hoping you'll be back next Wednesday, Cindy. Now we've been talking about the end times. Last week we were taking a look at the rapture. And so we have to review just a little bit before we accelerate a little bit into our next end times topic. And the first question that I have is this study that we're doing is called what? But it is the study of eschatology, which means that we are all in this room. We are all eschatologists. So use that this week by telling somebody if they say, well, what do you do? You say, oh, I'm an eschatologist. They won't have a clue. They won't have a clue what you what you do. But it might open a door. It might open a door. So this rapture that we're talking about is is what? Steve? I love that. I've always wanted to be a teacher. <laughs> so this this rapture, the rapture is what? The rapture is the end times and specifically the snatching up, thank you for that, the snatching up, because that's what the word means. It means the really the snatching away or the snatching up is what rapture means. And um, if you'll turn to first, excuse me, second Timothy three, one through five, we're taking a look at this rapture that is going to take place in the end times. And we concluded last week for sure that we are in the end times. We are in the end times. And we looked at what the Bible says about what the sign of the end times are going to be. And this is my favorite scripture passage uh, because I think we can all very much relate to it. So 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5. Somebody with a really good loud voice could read that. But Mark says, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power have nothing to do with them. I love that passage because we can so relate to it because sometimes when we look in the mirror, we're one of those things. 
And other times we can just look around at the at the horrific evil that exists in the world that relates to that particular passage. And uh, it's one thing to be forgiven uh, and to ask for forgiveness for for being in in any one of those categories in Second Timothy three, one through five. And it's another altogether when we see the horrific um, uh, exploits of people that just generally are evil and they fit all of those character qualities that are negative. And it's really kind of scary when you think about it. So we are in the end times. And, and scripture we looked at last week says that one of the one of the things that uh, we can recognize that that when we are in the end times and these things are happening, earthquakes, wars, famines, uh, floods, uh, you know, natural disasters, uh, those kinds of things that are going to be happening more frequently, if you will, uh, are a great sign to us that the end times are here. And the Bible calls them birth pangs. And last week we looked at birthing into what? Ladies, you can relate to this. That's not a it's not an easy experience from what I understand. And so so what are we being birthed into if the end times are here and these are all birth pangs? The new heaven, the new earth, there is going to be everything made new. Everything will be made new. And so these birth pangs, ladies, you can tell us better than I certainly can, is that there's this agony that you go through and then there is then there is the ecstasy of this new life, this miraculous life that is brought into the world um, it, it's incredible, and I, I've shared with you. I had the experience with with uh, Dr. Rhodes and and um, and uh, uh, one of his um, one of his staff. We got to sit in. I got I the privilege of sitting in on on uh, two um, uh, C sections. Um, the first one of which uh, radically changed my life. Uh, just sitting in and seeing this new. This new life, not having ever having had children of my own, this this child was brought into this operating room and it was C-section babies. I would I was told are, are beautiful because they haven't gone through the birth canal, you know. So the, here comes this 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 baby, full head of curly black hair and bright um, and screaming. <laughs> um, and uh, and the doctor, after uh, got the, the baby, his little baby girl, got her all cleaned up and wrapped her in a blanket and handed her to me. And I, I mean, we're talking minutes old. And, you know, I'm like, ah, what do you, you know, but it was it was miraculous. It was miraculous. The ecstasy of that. Uh, I wasn't the father. I was just there. And yet it was it was one of the most emotional experiences I've ever had. And it was just incredible. And so first uh, Thessalonians 4.13, you don't have to turn there, but remember that says don't be ignorant and don't be uninformed. The biblical principle is about these things. And the these things in principle are everything from Genesis 1 all the way through, including the end of Revelation. But specifically about the end times, because that's what we're talking about. Don't be uninformed. And then we looked at the seven R words last week. And that's the realization, revelation, return, resurrection, removal, reunion, and reassurance. And those seven R words uh, really 
uh, in summary, are the realization is being informed. Let's, let's realize what's going to happen. God's Word tells us what's going to happen, so let's realize and recognize that this is serious business, especially for the uninformed, the uninitiated, and clearly the unsaved. And then the revelation. This is the Lord's own words, Scripture tells us. So Jesus himself said, these are the things that are going to happen. And he revealed that to, to several people okay, through the Holy Spirit. And that is the Apostle Paul, for one, and John in Revelation, and the prophets of old. Um, and we're going to look at some of those. We have to look at some of those as we go through the tribulation starting tonight. And then there's the return. Not the second coming of Jesus that we looked at, but the return is when Jesus comes down and he takes up his bride, his church. The dead in Christ will rise first. We saw in Scripture very clearly last week. And then, who? Then us. If we're alive, we're next. Okay? The dead in Christ first, and then those that will never taste death. Interesting. And then, of course, we have that whole resurrection. That's what it is. We will be resurrected at that very moment and we will have what kinds of bodies will we have in the resurrection? Like Jesus, perfect, glorified, fit for heaven. That's what I like. I like that fit for heaven. Okay. wow. They'll be radically different than than. Amen, huh, Doris? <laughs> Amen. And so we'll be able to fall down all we want in heaven, Doris, and we will have no repercussions. We probably won't even fall. <laughs> but nonetheless, we will have these resurrected bodies. And of course, we will be removed. Those of us that are still alive, if the rapture were to happen today, we will be removed from this place. But many won't. Many won't. The hard news of the end times, which we will begin looking at tonight, is that there is some hard news. There is some tough news. And we don't hear it often. But it is truth. It is biblical truth, what is going to happen. And we are going to look at that. Then, of course, we have the beauty of the reunion. That's self-explanatory, isn't it? So every person you've ever known that is a believer, you will meet in the flash of an eye. And we will recognize them. Pardon me? Whether you like it or not. The good news is, is that we are going to see them in a way that we never have. You see, we're going to see Jesus for who he is, because nobody in this room can understand the holiness of. Of Christ, nobody can understand the fullness of Christ because we we are not fit for that. We will be then. So we'll see him for who he is and we'll see each other without any sin. And we'll have no concept of what sin even is in that realm. And so we can't relate to that, can we? It's impossible. It's impossible. But that's the hope that we have. And it's beautiful. And then, of course, we have the, the reassurance. First Thessalonians 4.18 says that we need to encourage each other with these words. Even the hard ones, it says. Encourage each other. Because, Thelma, where are we going? 
Where are we going? Heaven. Yeah, you can say it loud. <laughs> heaven. Heaven. <laughs> We're going to heaven. Yeah. We need to reassure each other with those words because sometimes, and you've heard this saying before, but sometimes this is kind of like hell on earth. And I don't mean that disrespectfully. I just mean that, that in a way, who, who has control of this earthly realm? Satan does. And so... Uh, it is kind of, you can say it, it's okay to say that hell on earth because sometimes that's what life is like and we're going to look at that in terms of tribulation but the church is going to be raptured snatched away poof i like that word too poof snatched away in the blink of an eye and your eternity as a believer as a follower of jesus as one who has put their faith in christ alone is secure. The beauty of what we're going to begin looking at is that your security has been guaranteed. And the guarantee is only as good as the guarantor. And so whoever is giving you the guarantee had better be pretty secure. You ever bought anything from a company like an electronic device and then had them go out of business and guess how good the guarantee of the product is? Zippo. Nada. Because the guarantor wasn't worthy. But you see, Jesus is. And so, and we have been given the guarantee. Okay? We have been given the guarantee. In fact, he said, I give you the Holy Spirit as a guarantee for the things that are going to come. And so what's going to come? Tribulation. The tribulation. So, so now what? Okay. Now what? We've been raptured. Follow along. We've been raptured. Now, not everybody believes that we're going to be raptured in, these, in this sequence of events. But that's okay. For now, we'll deal with that. But for now, follow with me. We've been raptured. And what's next, Marvin? Tribulation. The tribulation. So what is that? What is... Well, let's put it this way. What is tribulation? Well, you just said hell on earth. Okay. <laughs> that's one kind of tribulation. Okay. Okay, that's tribulation. What is the tribulation? The tribulation. God's judgment. Okay. Diana has read Revelation and understands bowls and trumpets and seals, and we have to look at that. We're confused. I've read that also. It's the discipline of Israel. Okay. Discipline of, of Israel. We're going to look at that as well. Absolutely. It's the Holy Okay, so there's a period of time, this tribulation period, where, where we won't have the protection. I say we, if any of us are left behind, we won't have the, the, the protection that we have, the security that we have of the Holy Spirit. And so, you know, Satan is going to have pretty much free reign. And we're going to see what Scripture says about that. These are horrific events, because if you think it's hell on earth now, you ain't seen nothing yet. You ain't seen nothing yet. Um, yes. Follow with me. The rapture happened. You're not here. The tribulation. Well, hang on. Just hold on to that thought for just a second. 
because we're going to get there. But let's take a look at tribulation first. So Marvin says that tribulation is like hell on earth. And there's some truth to that, isn't there? Great. Turn to John 16.33. And let's look at tribulation and the tribulation. See if we can discern some differences here. John 16.33. Susan? No, let's go with Susan number one. <laughs> That's not a derogatory thing. <laughs> I have said this to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Some of your versions, if you have an NIV, it says in this world you will have trouble. And uh, you have an ASV or something like that. Uh, what version are you reading out of? You're not even sure what that is? But it says tribulation. I like it. I like it. It says in this world you will have hell on earth. You will have tribulation. Anybody have tribulation today? <laughs> okay. Okay, who's, who's zoomed ahead and is already at Job 14.1? Oh, we don't have a zoomer in the group, do we? <laughs> Job 14.1. Sally's there. Yeah, man, born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. Slash... <laughs> well, unfortunately, when we interpret Scripture, it's euphemistically spoken. I know you know that, uh, but, but somebody listening might not know that. And so, men and women. Now, see, I struggle with that because, you know, the NIV changed to, uh, to gender neutral, which just bothers the heck out of me, to be honest with you. And that's why I don't use the new NIV. I use the old NIV, which I like in a thought-for-thought thought translation. And so that's why if you read the new NIV, it doesn't say man born of women. It says mortals. They changed the word to mortals. Oh, please give me a break. They, you know, just give me a break. What we want to do is we want to stick to God's word in the format that is most appropriate. And gender neutral doesn't get it. End of commentary. Man, born of woman, is a few days and full of trouble. Now, so we're going to have trouble, right? Scripture's pretty clear. We're going to have trouble. Tina, is that true? Yeah. It's true. Okay. Nobody here has been immune to that at all. Okay. Daniel 12.1. Because if that's tribulation and trouble, which we're going to have, okay, you had somebody break into your house. That's tribulation, isn't it? It's not fun, is it? You feel violated, don't you? Right. And it's unpleasant. That's good news. That's good news. But that is tribulation. Now, how about the tribulation? Daniel 12, 1. Yeah. 
that time, Michael, the great prince, to protect your people will arise. There will be a time of distress such as has not happened from the beginning of nations until then. But at that time, your people, everyone whose name is found written in the book, will be delivered. I like the will be delivered part. Anybody else? All right. And so Daniel here is talking about this period of time where there will be, uh, quote unquote, great distress like nothing that the world has ever experienced before, since or ever. That is the tribulation. And then we can zoom forward into the New Testament because this tribulation period is talked about throughout the whole of Scripture. This is not a study in Revelation, which talks a lot about what's going to happen. But this is a study about what God's word says about the end times. And so let's go to Matthew 24, 21 for essentially the same data that is going to be given to us. Matthew 24, 21, someone. For then there will be great distress, unequal from the beginning of the world until now, and never to be equal again. And so, what, birthday girl, are the key words in there? Just pick great some out. Distress, great distress. Unequal. Unequaled. That's good enough. Great distressed, unequaled. Think about your worst day ever. Think about the most horrific event that you can imagine in your lifetime, just your lifetime. Think about that. We're not going to be there. We're not going to be there. We are not going to be there. But our heart should be for those who will be. And that's one of the purposes of a study of the end times. It's really to change our heart. Not to be cavalier, because we're not going to be there. Nor to be, oh, who cares? God's got it under control. He's going to take care of it. I trust Him. Well, of course, we all do that. There's no question about that. But how does this impact us relative to those that we know that don't believe this? Because it's true. It's hard, but it's true. And so it should impact the way we live. And we'll look at that more a little bit later. So the tribulation period is seven years long. This is an intro. We're going to look at a lot of scripture over the next couple of weeks to support this tribulation period so that we understand it because we must understand it. It's a seven year period that will take place. And interestingly enough, in all of scripture, when when God gives us information relative to events and time, he often isn't very specific about how long things are going to last. I appreciated Olivia a couple of weeks ago when she said, or was it last week, when she said, well, I think that it's going to be a, it's going to be a while. Well, you know, kind of I do too, but I can't support that biblically. <laughs> and so what's important is, uh, uh, you know, we have to frame uh, what we think 
around what God's word says. Otherwise, we end up changing what it says. And I can, I can engage you. I, there are five churches I can name right now in this valley within six miles of this place where we're sitting where I can send you, and each one of them has taken a position that only some of this matters. Well, I can also give you five more that say that, no, it is so essential that it all matters. It all matters. Yes. <laughs> right, Brenda. It all matters. And you see, so once we get to a point where we decide we are going to have an opinion about a topic in the Bible, especially something that's important like this, we have to be very careful with that. And so it's okay to have an opinion as long as we hold it loosely in things that are non-essential. Okay? We have to hold it loosely and, and then we have, to, we have to really seek the Lord for what is He telling us. Okay? And one thing He's telling us is the rapture will happen. We won't be there. The tribulation is going to happen. Did I say the rapture is going to happen and we won't be there? We won't be there after the rapture happens. We will not be there for the tribulation. Amen? We won't be. And so this period of seven years is going to be a horrific period, right? And that is the period of time where judgment is going to take place. Where God's wrath... Isn't it interesting that God's wrath is going to go forth and it's going to last for a seven-year period? Period. Now, in the history of time, that's very short. And when we look at this, we're going to see that it really, is, it, it really isn't even seven years because the first half of the tribulation is pretty benign. But the last half is horrific. Absolutely horrific. And so, in this period of time, God pours out His wrath on a sinful and disobedient world. God forbid those that will be here during that period because God is going to unleash wrath, which is, which is actually a loving thing. And, and we have to look at that because God is not this great killjoy that sits in heaven and with a smile, uh, that wicked smile on his face. No, that's, that's Satan that's doing that. That's not God. But there is a judgment that is going to take place for the disobedient that are left. There will be a full judgment, we will see, at the end of the end times for everyone. Nobody gets past the judgment cycle. It's just how God is going to deal with those he's judging based on what? Based on what, Doris? Your faith in Jesus. Radical different judgment for those that have put their faith in Christ than for those that didn't. Because we'll be held account for what we did with what we have. Because what we have has been given to us by God. But more on that later. So there's going to be wrath. There's going to be judgment during this period. So think about this. We have a seven-year period called the tribulation and there's going to be wrath, judgment, indignation. There's going to be troubles. That sounds calm, doesn't it? But th these will be troubles like, like the world has never seen. Never seen before. There will be destruction. There will be darkness. And that is both a literal darkness and a spiritual darkness. 
And we will look at that because there are going to be some questions that we're going to pose this evening that we're going to start looking at answering because there's some of us have many questions. And the Bible has many answers. Some things the Bible doesn't have answers for because God hasn't revealed that to us. But most of the questions that we have about this period are answerable in Scripture. And there is going to be desolation and punishment on a scale. The, the punishment, the guy that's in jail, Brenda, that's nothing compared to the type of punishment that is going to be doled out. And it's going to be on a scale that, is, that goes beyond what we can currently imagine. And the interesting thing about this tribulation period is, is that these things are going to be both epic, meaning, whoa, huge, beyond our imagination, and swift. And one of the things that I think is interesting about an end times and specifically a study of tribulation is that it seems to us, correct me if I'm wrong, it seems to us, doesn't it, that God really acts slowly? Doesn't he? Sometimes I pray. I'm still waiting for the answer to some of my prayers. And don't you find yourself saying, God, could you hurry it up a little bit? I mean, it's, you know, it's Wednesday. It's 7 o'clock. And so, in the tribulation... The Bible tells us that it's going to be swift. Can I ask you something? Yes, ma'am. Now, that's a good question. And you know what? We're going to answer that. Ha ha. Because the Bible tells us. What's the purpose of this tribulation? Why is God doing this? Now, can we search the mind of God completely? No. But does he reveal to us the purpose of this tribulation period? Absolutely. Pat, you mentioned Israel. And we have the church. And we have, we have you know, these, these, these Jews. We've got these Gentiles. We've got these classes of people. We've got, we've got people that are raptured. We've got people that are left behind. We've got this tribulation period. And we're going to go through all of that and find out why. What's the purpose behind all this? And when we see the purpose, it is going to, I think, soften us just a little bit to uh, engage those that we, that we care about. Okay? We need to engage those that we care about. So we will get there. So, Did you say this is after the rapture or before the After the rapture. Now, the rapture is... What, the seven years? That's correct. What is, what is this talking about? <laughs> now, that's a, that's a good question, and we'll get to that as well. Because we have to find out, okay, what, you know, what, what's God's purpose? That's, that's kind of in the purpose and the process. So, so if you'll bear with me in the setup for this as we're laying the foundation for, for the tribulation, because trust me, there's a lot of stuff that's going to go down during this tribulation period. And we have to understand what is going down and why is it going down. And to whom and to why? And to why? And for why? Is that proper English? You got the idea. Okay, sounds good. But we're talking about the rapture having taken place and now the tribulation. So obviously now you have a pretty good idea of where I fit. Okay? So I'm a pre-tribber, meaning that I believe 
that the rapture is going to happen before the tribulation takes place. Not everybody in the church believes that. And we're going to deal with that as we go along too. Because it's important that we understand that there are more than one point of view. Some people believe that the, that the rapture is going to take place after the tribulation. That's a minority view uh, in, uh, during this, this period uh, in history. It's a minority view. And even a smaller minority view believe that there is going to be a mid-trib, meaning that the first three and a half years of the tribulation that are relatively benign that we're going to look at, then the church is going to be taken out. And then, and then there's even other people that think there's going to be a partial rapture. And see, the problem is, is that we have scriptural evidence, and uh, I'm going to support the, the various positions, okay? And so you can make up your own mind. I'm just telling you that as we go through this, we have to start with some basis. The basis of the bias that you will hear from me is I don't have a problem telling you is that I have come down on the side of of being a, a pre-tribulationist, meaning that I believe that scripture teaches that the tribulation is going to happen. Um, but we won't be there because we will have been raptured. OK, and that is, by the way the majority view in the church today, just just so you know. Now, there are four or five other real offshoots to to that. But but we have to be really careful with that, because we also know that there are people out there that are quite sensationalists about about the rapture and about the tribulation and about the end times events and about what's happening in our world even today. And, and we're going to look at that a little bit even even this evening. So this tribulation then gets ushered in. We're not here. We've been raptured. What does the tribulation, I'm going to test your, your Bible knowledge for those of you that have been around a bit and looked at this perhaps uh, at, at, at other times in your life. Um, what ushers in the tribulation? Now, I believe that we're raptured. And then after the rapture, sequentially, the tribulation takes place. What ushers that in? The Antichrist. Who's the Antichrist? Well, how does the Antichrist usher it in? Let's start there. Anybody, anybody know the answer to that question? What does the Antichrist do that ushers in the, the tribulation? He poses as God. He's a great leader. He comes on the scene with an answer for everything. We're going to look at Scripture to support all these things that you're saying. Anything else? One, one nation, one world government. Okay. You're getting warm. Ooh. Well, that's, that's a possibility. Okay, well, Scripture has something to say about that, actually. Okay. So if you were left behind, God forbid, what will usher in the tribulation period is that this Antichrist, which we're going to look at <coughs> starting right now, is going to be the one that signs a covenant with Israel for its protection for the full seven-year period of the tribulation. There will be warring factions. Now, I want you to think about what's going on in the world today, guys. 
just think about what's going on in the world today. I'm not going to opine. I'm just going to tell you to think about our life, where we live and what's going on. And Israel is this little, tiny, tiny, tiny little place out there on the planet. It's this little speck of dirt. It's unbelievable to me how insignificant this little speck of dirt is. And yet, how significant is it biblically? Very. Because if we, if we take a look at the, at the ushering in of the tribulation period, we won't be here. But for those that are, it will be ushered in because the Antichrist is going to, is going to single-handedly sign a covenant. Now, we know about cutting covenant, don't we? And he is going to sign a covenant with Israel to protect it. Now, the whole world in that region of the world is against Israel and all of those nations want Israel annihilated. And why is it that that hasn't happened yet? Because Israel is nothing in terms of size. Excuse me? Because of God. <laughs> it's not time. It's not time. It's a fascinating study. When you look at what is going to happen during this tribulation period, that the Antichrist is going to confirm a covenant. Daniel 9.27. Don't, you don't have to turn there. Daniel 9.27 says he will confirm that because it's written. The Antichrist is going to confirm a covenant with many for one seven. Now, when you understand that language, that means he is going to confirm a covenant with Israel for seven years of protection. And that is going to usher in a period of world peace. Pardon me? False, but it's going to happen. Okay? So we start there. And I, I love the... Uh, every time when one of the one of the contestants on the Miss America uh, thing uh, says that, you know, that what, what she really cares about is world peace. Yeah. Uh, my wife always says world peas, um, you know, like there's going to be a pods full of all kinds of peas and we're going to have a whirlpool of peas. And but the, what the, you know, they don't even know what they're saying, uh, because if they understood the world from a biblical point of view, the only time there's going to be world peace, there's going to be two times in the world where there will be world peace. There will be a false world peace for a short period of time at the beginning of the tribulation. And then we're going to see what happens at the end. That's where we're going to be. Okay? And we're going to look at that because end time study has to end there. It, it has to be heaven. You can't have a study of the end times without identifying what heaven is about. And so we'll kind of summarize that from our previous study. Linda. Well, what does that mean? Uh, who is the there's, there's, that's another interesting study in and of itself because the Bible has a lot to say about the Prince of Peace uh oh but we got to be careful with that one too because who is the Prince of Peace we just looked at a scripture that, that called um, that calls Satan the Prince of Peace false peace but is Jesus called the Prince of Peace uh huh it's really interesting because Satan okay so, so Jesus represents peace and the birth of Jesus is what's being celebrated. And so I think you have to take it that way. Okay? Because ultimately, ultimately, what is Jesus going to usher in? 
the opposite of what the Antichrist ushers in. And so what we see in Daniel 9.27 is there's going to be this covenant made for one seven. That's a seven year period of time. And it is decreed that ultimately, of course, this, this peace isn't going to last. And, and we're going to look at that. So if the Antichrist is going to usher in this tribulation period, who is he? And no, he is not Barack Obama. <laughs> Barack Obama is not the Antichrist. And I'm very confident he was probably born in Hawaii, too. That, that is not the answer. Who is the Antichrist? Go ahead. Some people believe, and that's an interesting question, isn't it? Some people believe that the Antichrist is alive in the here and now. That's right. Some, and scholars, I, some scholars believe that uh, it will be a, a Jew. Some that, scholars believe that the Antichrist will be a Jew. That he'll be returning to Israel after having been elsewhere. Mm-hmm. And we're going to look at a scripture that will either support or, or not that point of view. And some other people believe that, it, it, that it, for those that don't believe that the Antichrist is a Jew, what would he be otherwise? A Gentile. <laughs> There's only two types. Okay. And, but now there are those that are proclaiming there, there are, uh, there are um, uh, and I don't want to denigrate you know, all TV preachers, but there are some sensationalists that go on television that will say that the, that the Antichrist is here and he's Muslim. And, and, and you've ha- you got to be really careful because there are all kinds of wild, extreme views that are unsupportable. And so those people that say they know who the Antichrist is, and I've heard that, the, that Pope Francis is the Antichrist, and, I, and, and in, in my lifetime, I've heard, just recently, I've heard that Bill Clinton, uh, um, yeah, Bill Clinton's the Antichrist. Uh, I've heard that, uh, that uh, George Bush is the Antichrist, that Barack Obama is the Antichrist, that, that the Pope is the Antichrist, and it goes on and on and on. So we have to really avoid those people that are sensationalists, don't we? That, that Satan is coming in the flesh? Oh, now, that's a good question because we're going to look at that too. You guys are really ahead of the game with the questions because we have, to, we have to see. In fact, right now, we're going to take a look at that. So, who is the Antichrist? Well, the one thing that we do know that the Antichrist is the central figure of the seven-year tribulation period. No question about it. No question about it that he is what the Scripture foretells He is the person that the scriptures foretell is going to come and set the tribulation period in motion by having a covenant with Israel for their protection. Because who is their primary protection today besides God? I mean, in the world, the United States, the United States. And and is that well, at the moment it is. Because political waves change, don't they? And so right now, the United States, uh, and for good reason, for good reason, has been the primary protector of Israel. 
because many in the United States are, are, are biblically sound. As we are less biblically sound, guess what? Our support, isn't that interesting that our support for Israel is going in the toilet because we are becoming less and less of a biblically literate and Christian nation. It's fascinating. It's all here. It's all in here. It's just, it's just really interesting to me. So the farther we go away from, from what the Bible teaches, uh, the, the more likely it is that we're going to go farther away from what the Bible teaches. Okay. And so, so the Antichrist um, uh, comes and the first part of this tribulation period is, like I said, relatively benign. Because when peace comes, when Israel isn't getting bombed by Hamas, and when, and when, uh, when all of the enemies of Israel that are surrounding her now, okay, woo, all of these enemies that want Israel, we'll call the country of Israel, her. When they want her annihilated and this Antichrist comes on the scene and negotiates a seven-year peace treaty and it is effective, meaning that Hamas is no longer bombing, um, all of those countries in the Middle East that want uh, that country annihilated uh, agree and then they behave appropriately. Okay, they don't just say it, but they start behaving appropriately like they mean it. Well, can you imagine how the world is going to respond to this person that negotiated this deal? Okay, so who is he? Daniel 6.26 says he is the prince who is to come. Prince of peace, anybody? He is the prince who is to come. There is an antichrist coming and he is referred to in Daniel as a prince. Now that's a that's a term that is loaded. That is a term we could study that for a while, but this is a 101 version of end times study and so as eschatologists we're just sort of beginners, uh, me included. So we we have to we we're not going to study uh, how loaded that word prince is. But Daniel 6.26 says that, that he is the prince that, who is to come. And what about second? We do want to turn here. Second Thessalonians 2, 3, and 4. Because we need to know a little something about this person of the Antichrist. Let no one in any way deceive you, for it will not come unless the apostasy comes first. And the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. This is a really interesting character because um, the, the letter to uh, the church in Thessalonica here, uh, they were having some difficulty. And so... Uh, in this letter, it was important to inform them and us that there is going to be this man of lawlessness and destruction. It says, what does it say at the beginning? It says, don't let anyone deceive you. Or will not come unless he wants to be Don't let anyone deceive you. And so what's, what happens even in the church today? Oh, there's a lot of people that are deceived. Completely deceived. I mean, I'll tell you, go. You can find churches today that will say that this stuff isn't even going to happen. And by the way, not only is this stuff not going to happen, 
They've just decided to erase it. I love that. Remember that video that Richie showed a couple weeks ago? People were taking a black magic marker and just lining out stuff they don't like. There are, there are whole churches, non-denominational and denominational churches, that are just lining this stuff out. Okay? There is no lawless one. There's no hell. There's no, none of the bad stuff is in there. It's not in there. But that's what they would teach because they don't like it. And, and again, God forbid, because the book of Revelation clearly tells us, you better darn well be careful if you're taking anything out of this or adding anything to it. There's going to be trouble. And guess what? I believe that those people are going to go through the tribulation and they're going to see the trouble. They are going to experience the trouble. It's, it's horrific. This is, I mean, this is important, scary stuff for those that would take liberty to do what they choose with God's word as opposed to taking it for what it is, God's word, that we are to obey. Because he loves us and we love him. That's, that's, what, that's what love is. And so this Antichrist is the man of lawlessness. And yet he's doomed to destruction. And even though he comes on the scene initially and is going to be the guy that they, everybody goes, Whoa! This guy's awesome! He brought peace to the world. And, and because what's happening when he comes on the scene and he ushers in the tribulation by virtue of the fact that he negotiates this peace deal, the world is reeling. Think about it. Millions of people just disappeared. Now, we don't know the time between the rapture and when we're not told. So we don't know exactly how long a period of time. It could be weeks, months, or years. We don't know. But we do know this. The world is in a bad way now. And if the rapture were to take place now, there's going to... And I, sometimes we have to add some levity to it. Uh, so, Lucy, there's going to be some splaining to do here. You know, who's going to explain all these people gone? Who's going to explain the economic... You know, the, the stock market's probably going to... I don't know what all's going to happen. I'm not going to be here. But I'm telling you, what would happen if millions, maybe... Maybe the B word. There might be a billion people or more that are believers in Jesus Christ that are gone. They're just gone. This guy is going to have an explanation for it. Yeah, planes falling from the sky. There's going to be car accidents. I mean, think about it. This is real. This is not. This is not science fiction. If the rapture is going to happen in the blink of an eye, imagine what you might be doing. Think about that tomorrow during your whole day tomorrow. All the stuff you're doing tomorrow. If the rapture came at the blink of an eye, like a thief in the night, when you least expect it. If it happened at any time during the course of the day tomorrow, if you were driving your car and you're the only one in it. That's a problem. Not for you. But it's a problem for somebody. And they're not going. Think about it. I, I mean, you know, we think about these kinds of things. And, and again, we can be pretty cavalier about it. But it's catastrophic. This is a catastrophic event for those that are left behind. And so at this particular point, the world is thrown into turmoil like we have never ever seen. 
Nobody has experienced it, and there are going to be a lot of people, like right now, there's a lot of whack jobs out there that have a lot of opinion about what's going to happen in the end times, and they know very little about what God's Word says. But they have a lot of strong opinions. Okay, And so, uh, so we have to be very careful with that. But as a practical matter, there will be things that are going to be happening in the world that never have happened before. And there are going to be people scratching their head. And it's not going to be, and we're going to see this biblically, and it's not going to be one of those experiences where people say, oh, I get it, the church got raptured. That's not going to be their first thought. That will not be their first thought. So, so what we have is we have this, this, this rapture that's taken place. We have this Antichrist that comes and he begins to take charge. And, uh, and ultimately, we're going to see that he claims to be God. Well, there's how many people since Jesus Christ ascended back to heaven a couple thousand years ago? How many people have claimed to be God? I don't know. I can't count that high. <laughs> Lots. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's interesting. I, I like to stay up on this kind of stuff. And so I, was, I think I was sharing last week about this, this Hispanic guy that, that has a church in, in Florida. And he started with a, with a few believers. And they, he built the church up to about three or 400 people. And then he, he, they, they expanded. Now they have like three campuses. And there's a couple thousand, two or three thousand people, uh, which by today's standards is kind of a mega church. And, and his whole premise for his ministry is that he is Jesus Christ. The scripture that Marvin read said, don't be deceived. Don't. That's why we're here. We would like to be biblically literate and we're working at that. And this blesses God. What we're doing here blesses God because we are we want to be informed so that it so that it matters for his sake, for his glory, for his kingdom, not ours, not ours. And so. Where does the where does the where does the term antichrist come from? That's an interesting term, isn't it? Because that's the title of this guy that we're going to look at. Excuse me. Okay, it means the opposite of Christ, but where does it come from? Very good, John's epistles. So we take a look at First John. That's the next on your list there. Of the scriptures that I gave you. 1 John 4, 1 through 3. And I'm there, so I'll just read it. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. Wait a minute. Does that mean the Antichrist is in the world? The spirit of the Antichrist is in the world. Let's keep reading because we want to we want to make sure that that's clear. First John five nineteen. These are all First John scriptures. So if somebody's there, if they can read First John five nineteen. 
We know that we are of God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Okay, there's a scripture reference specifically to the evil one. Okay, let's continue. Next verse. First, no, First John two eighteen. Next on the list. I'm sorry. First John two eighteen. That's really interesting. So we have three scriptures here talking about um, about the spirit of the Antichrist, Antichrists, and the Antichrist. Is that confusing? Okay, let's clear it up. Okay, because there's clarity. So what we have to take a look at then is if we know who the Antichrist is, that is the man that is going to usher in this peace accord with Israel. That is the Antichrist. And we're going to look at what he's going to do through this tribulation period because he is going to do miraculous things. Literally miraculous things will come from this man. And that is the Antichrist. But what is Scripture talking about in terms of, let's say, the spirit of the Antichrist? What is that? What we do warfare with. There is a spiritual battle that is raging around and in this place as we sit here now. The evil one. Say, is a he or it is a he. It is a he. It is a man. Okay? And we're going to look at him. We're going to look at him very, very carefully because this is the central figure. Okay? So. Yeah, the horror of Babylon is a whole, is a whole other issue, uh, but and, but that's part of it, and we'll and we can deal with that. And as we look at the at the judgments and so forth, we, we'll look at briefly some of those things that are important. But so the anti the spirit of the antichrist is spiritual. Any spirit that does that. And so now let's take a look at antichrists, according to Scripture. There are many antichrists that have come. Isn't that what it says? Okay. Even now, many antichrists have arisen. Antichrists are anyone that opposes Jesus. So if there was somebody in this room right now that has chosen to be an atheist, for example... And would like to proclaim that to us. That person has the spirit of Antichrist and is an Antichrist. Okay? And the Antichrist is the Antichrist of the seven year tribulation period controlled uh, completely by Satan. Okay, so I just want to make that clear. So we have spirit in the spiritual realm. There are any spirit. There are evil spirits, and those evil spirits in the in the demonic sense that absolutely hate what we're doing here, because we're calling out the truth. They hate it, and there is a battle raging. It, we know who wins. We already know who wins, and there in the angelic world, there is protection. 
We looked at that when we studied angels a couple of years ago. Okay? We don't have a guardian angel. We have guardian angels. Okay? That's what Scripture teaches us. And so we're being protected in ways we don't even know because of the battle that's going on spiritually. So in the spirit of the Antichrist is anything that is demonic. And Antichrists are any of those people, like that guy I was telling you about in Florida, that has come in and proclaiming to be Jesus Christ. He is an Antichrist. He is the antithesis of Christ. He is not Jesus Christ, obviously. And so he is an Antichrist, of which there have been many, 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 many. Maybe millions over the years. Okay? And so that's very clear. So what does the word mean? Nadine says anti means uh, opposite. Is that what you said? Opposite of Christ? Here's how you can think about it. Okay? Think about it this way. Let's, let's put a little fun into it because these kinds of things can be heavy. So if you think about going to Bacali's, I like Bacali's. I don't get out there very often. But if you think about going to Bacali's and ordering an antipasta salad, <laughs> it's a salad without pasta. Okay? It's a salad. Anti means... It can't, it doesn't have it in, it's not in there. And so, uh, Antichrist means without Christ. Think about it in those terms, and it really gives some clarity to these scriptures that talk about the Antichrist, Antichrists, and the spirit of Antichrist. Anything Antichrist is against Christ, without Christ. It's really interesting. So, anti means opposite, against, opposed to, or instead of. Okay? So I think you can think about it this way. So it's the it's the opposite of Jesus? Against Jesus, opposed to Jesus, or instead of Jesus. A counterfeit Jesus, okay? Instead of Jesus. That raises an interesting question about the Antichrist. Is the Antichrist the opposite of Jesus? Opposed to Jesus? Or when he comes and he is revealed when he makes this covenant with Israel for this peace that Israel has never known. Certainly they haven't known it since they've had their, their, their country. Is, yeah, he does. But is he opposed, against, or instead of? All of the above. Who says? Okay. Poll. I like polls. Okay. Against, against and opposed. Instead of. A couple. Both. <laughs> both. Okay. There's more boths. There's more boths than, than anything. Okay. I think the boths win. I think the boths win. And here's why I think that. Because if you explore just a little bit this Antichrist in terms of being opposed to Christ and against Christ, who's left? Non-believers. Okay? Some people that might have thought they were believers, so are, do they have knowledge? Yeah, okay. There's some people left here that have... There are going to be people that are left behind that have been sitting in churches for years. 
Oh, well, yeah. Initially, he's going to do something that has been attempted to be done by every president of this country since 1948, when Israel became a, a, a country. They've been trying to negotiate peace. Okay, you ever get tired of hearing about the, talking about peace? It ain't going to happen. It's not going to happen. I'm sorry. My favorite book tells me that there's only one way that that's going to happen. And it's not going to be negotiated between the United States and Hamas or, or, or anybody else. It just isn't going to happen. And so, if we explore the Antichrist, does he come instead of Jesus? See, those people that are here are going to be looking for a Messiah. The Jews are going to be here and they are still looking for a Messiah. And this man comes and what's the first? Put yourself into a Jewish mindset now. What's the first thing that the nation of Israel is going to be thinking about when this guy comes and rescues them? He is a type of Messiah. There are going to be many, and we're going to look at this tribulation period about what happens because there are going to be many that say, He's here. Don't be deceived, right, Marvin? Don't be deceived. Oh, but this, this Antichrist is the master deceiver. What else will he be? Daniel eight twenty three through 24a. The first part of 24. First of all, he's going to be brilliant. Very perceptive. Charismatic. Persuasive. Okay? Daniel, 20, or Daniel 8, 23-24a says this. In the latter part of their reign, when rebels have become completely wicked, a fierce-looking king a fierce-looking king, a master of intrigue will arise. He will become very strong, but not by his own power. He will cause astounding devastation. And check this. And will succeed in whatever he does. Who's not looking for a leader like that? And if you're left here... And the world is a mess. Not the mess that we see. It's going to be way messier than what we see. And this man shows up and he's a master. He's a master of intrigue. He's strong. And every single thing he does, everything is successful without opposition. Wow. That's what the Jews were looking for in the Messiah initially. They wanted to deal with the Roman Empire. Not much has changed, right? Not much has changed. And so this lawless one, the man of destruction, is going to look very attractive initially to the Jews. A type of Messiah bringing a false peace. 
We're going to see what that looks like as we dive farther into this tribulation. He's going to be a great speaker. Daniel 11.36 says, The king, that's the lawless one, will do as he pleases. He will exalt and magnify himself above every god and will say unheard of things against the god of gods. He will be successful until the time of wrath is completed for what he has determined must take place. That is what God has determined must take place. This man will exalt and magnify himself and he will say things about our God that are unimaginable and yet people will buy into it. This is a man that is going to be an orator's orator, meaning that he is not going to use a teleprompter. He is going to stand before people and speak from an evil heart and from the power of Satan. That's what he is going to speak from. And he will be masterful at persuading people what he is telling them. And he will succeed in every evil deed. He will be totally successful. Well, we're going to see that. God is going to allow that. That's right. And we're going to see why, Pat. We have to know what's going to happen and why. What's the purpose for this? You see, because in my brain, I'm kind of like, like Tina said. Wait, why don't we, can't we just do this the easy way? You know, can't we just go, they can stay, everybody goes to the lake of fire, we go to heaven, we can just be done with this, can't we? But there's a reason. There's a purpose behind all of this. This Antichrist, Daniel 9.27, we've already looked at it. He was going to confirm this, this covenant with Israel, which means that he is going to be a political genius. A political genius. Revelation 6.2, I like it in the American Standard Version. The ESV, as it were, says this. This is Revelation, apocalyptic language in Revelation, okay? Uh, sometimes difficult to understand. But it says that he is going to also be a military genius. Check this out. I looked and behold a white horse. He's coming on a, right, a white horse. This is very imaginary, right? And he's coming on this white horse. And it says, and its rider had a bow and a crown was given to him. He's got nuclear weapons, Pat. He's got nuclear weapons and he has a crown, meaning he is on the throne. Okay? He, he's, he, he's got a, an F-22 Raptor. For those of you who don't know, that's a really cool jet. Um, and, he's, and he's got the crown. He's in charge. Okay? And he came out conquering. He came out conquering and to conquer. Don't forget, he's successful in everything he does. This is going to be a man like no man that has ever, from an evil point of view, that has ever been on the planet. The absolute antichrist. The opposite of Christ. But coming as a Messiah. And of course, he's going to be a religious genius as well. Everybody is going to have to bow down to this Antichrist ultimately in the tribulation. 
It says in Second Thessalonians 2.4, we already read it, that He is going to be in God's temple. He's going to be in God's... That rebuilt temple that we're going to look at. He's going to be in this rebuilt temple that Susan believes needs to be rebuilt before any of these events, even the rapture, can take place. And, and I respect her belief, but I will challenge it biblically. But we'll see that because it's important to look at and then come down on where you want to come down on that issue. The point is, is that he is going to be in the temple. Where is the temple? In Jerusalem. Well, the spot. Yeah, it's, it's underneath a mosque at the moment from a Jewish mindset point of view. That's where it's located. And so they built a mosque over the top of the temple, which has been the, the, the you know, that's, that's been the genesis of all these problems, right? And so... He is going to stand in this rebuilt temple and claim to be God. And a lot of people are going to believe it. A lot of people are going to believe it. The Antichrist will be hailed as the Savior of the world. And those that are left behind, because of what he does, miraculous things are going to happen. The economy is going to be in the tank. And this man single-handedly is going to pull it out. And, and I'm telling you, it's going to be good. It's going to be like when you came out of the Depression. Those of us that were around during that period of time. I've heard that it was really horrific. Okay? And um, I, you know, my grandfather actually literally was the guy on the corner trying to sell pencils out of a cup. And I remember the stories he told me about coming out of the Depression. Well, it's going to be worse than the Depression, and this guy's going to fix it. And he's going to fix it good. And so he is going to be proclaimed as the Savior of the world after all these crazy things that are happening. And Israel is going to be at peace. And the world's going to be looking for a Savior. And the believers are going to be gone. Yeah, the believers are going to be with the Savior. That's right. That's right. Linda? Where are the believers going to be? In heaven. With Jesus. We're going to be in heaven with Jesus. While this is going on. Now, these are horrific things that are going to be going on. And so, this necessarily leads us to some pretty interesting questions. Some of which you've already posed. I wrote just a few of them down. Is the Antichrist alive today, Brenda? Some will say that he is. Huh. Is the Antichrist alive today? Where does he come from geographically? There's big debate uh, in bo- with both reasonable theologians and the whack jobs uh, in terms of where this, where this person is going to come from. Is he going to be an American? Is he going to be a European? Is he going to be a Jew? Is he going to be, you know, where is this, where is this Antichrist going to come from? And uh, uh, what's actually going to happen during this, this tribulation period? That the whole thing about the mark of the beast and the 666, and, and when, you're in the, when you're in this tribulation period, and you, you can, can you buy stuff or you can't buy stuff? And, and are there going to be believers during this period? Are people going to come to faith in Christ during this period of, of time? And what about those 144,000 witnesses, which are not, according to Jehovah's Witnesses, the 144... I love the Jehovah's Witness story because, you know, they, they've changed so many times and, I, and, and I, I love that. You know, I like that kind of stuff. And so when, when the Jehovah's Witnesses talked about the 144,000 uh, originally, they, they meant that they were, there were going to be 144,000 Jehovah's Witnesses in heaven. But they had a serious problem 
when when the church grew to be 144,000 Jehovah's Witnesses. So they had to kind of had to kind of change their story just a little bit because now that didn't work so good. So they had to, they had to change their they had to, they had to change scripture to support uh, what uh, because that didn't work so good. But anyway, uh, but what who are the 144,000 and the two witnesses and does anybody survive the tribulation? Okay. But, okay. So we got we got to know that. Okay. Uh, how about, is there a second chance? I think. Wasn't you, Linda? I like your question. But somebody, somebody said, somebody said a week or two ago, is will people have a second chance? This sounds bad. Will people come to Christ during the tribulation? Tribulation saints. Yeah, there will be martyrs during that period of time. How does that work? The Bible is real clear about that. Very clear about that. And we have to take a look at it. Because for those uh, that, are, that are left behind, is that a good, is that a good reason? Because we, we also have to take a look, a real hard look at Scripture in terms of God's purposes. When we look at God's purposes, which isn't going to happen this week, but when we take a look at God's purposes for this whole period of time, you know, it's, some people would say, ah, let's eat, drink, and be merry. Party down, because if the rapture happens and my friends bail, I'll just come to Christ later. <laughs> well, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way because because God ultimately is still in control, and Scripture has a lot to say about what's going to happen and how He is what what He's going to put in place during this period. And let me tell you, to to become a Christian during the tribulation period uh, uh, will will be beyond anything that we can imagine right now. We've got it so easy. We are so cavalier. We are especially in this country, okay? Because we don't we don't get it. There's not much of a price that we have to pay here. Because we're so wealthy in so many ways, and um, in in uh, in other places around the country, and we're seeing that right now, aren't we? Those people that are up on the hill that that are getting uh, there's beheadings that are going on. There's, there's horrific things that are going on because people are claiming to be Christians. I, I just spent three days at Missionary Aviation Fellowship in in Idaho at their corporate headquarters, and we were we were listening to people that were talking about um, their family members being martyred because they took a stand. And they, they got found out because they were in underground churches. They had to be in underground churches. You couldn't go out and let people know that you were a Christian. And they, they got found out and the authorities came in and they were killed for their faith in Christ. We can't even relate to that. We are so blessed that we can do this. This doesn't happen in a lot of places. It can't. It just can't. And then what about, what about this one? Somebody asked me, I heard that the Antichrist dies and is raised from the dead during the tribulation. Is that true and biblical? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Wow. Doris. Doris. So if the Antichrist does, and we better find that in Scripture, huh? We better not be guessing about that because that's a big one. So if the Antichrist actually does die and is resurrected, how does that work? How does that happen? And what might be the result of the Antichrist being dead? And the last guy that did that, his name was Jesus. 
And of course, with his 12 misfits, they changed the world. So we need to take a look at that in terms of the Antichrist. I mean, this, the, the, some of these parallels are, are, are scary. They're just really scary. And, and so the other question, if the church is raptured, what's, what's the point of the tribulation? I mean, what's the point? Well, God tells us what's, what the point is. So we need to look at that. And what about your question? What kind of questions do we have? Are there unanswered questions? Yeah. Yeah. And so what we're going to try to do is we're going to try to when we start really diving in because now we're going to dive in to the to the first half of the of the uh, of the tribulation and we're going to take a look at at first what we're going to do next week is we're going to start with the the why question why what's the purpose of this okay and so we need to take a look at that biblically so what is the purpose of the um, of, of this, this this thing that we call the the, the tribulation, and uh, why do we need to know it? That's that's the next good question. So, what's the purpose of it, and why do we need to know? Yeah, stick with me, Brenda. We're gonna look at them. Got to come back next week. <laughs> but wait, there's more. But wait, there's more. For only nine ninety five, we'll send you. Uh, we're going to take a look at those because we 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 need to take a look at that uh, because it's it's important. Because I had somebody ask me recently. Well, you know what? During this whole tribulation period, if if I'm not a Christian now, but I think I am. Well, I'm not sure what was in their heart or their mind when they're asking me this question, but but that's the way the question was posed. So, so if I'm not, if I get left behind, was the question. If I get left behind, isn't it just kind of a no-brainer since I already know God's word? Can't I just say, oh, it, it won't really matter? Even if they kill me, does it really matter? I'd be going to heaven anyway. That's a really good question, isn't it? So, what does God's word say about that? Yeah, rest assured. It doesn't work that way, but it's important that we that we know that. And so so we have to take a look at, at those things and we're going to take a look at this whole tribulation uh, 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 period in detail starting starting next week, because when we do that, we're going to go through um, um, uh, all the aspects that are known and some that are are less known. Okay, when I when I say known and less known, they're all biblical, and yet we have to take a look at what is the process for this tribulation. Because once we in, understand the Antichrist, and once we understand the tribulation period, the, both the first half and the second half, and the judgments that are going to take place, um, it, I'm telling you, it is going to if it's if you're if you're anything like me, it's going to change the way you view what you do today. Not, I mean today, not. Not today's date. I mean, while we're here, <laughs> while we're here today, it will it will change, and uh, and so we have to we have to deal with the tribulation, economics, world peace, religion, the temple, animal sacrifice, uh, the temple. Does it get rebuilt? You know, is anything in the way of the rapture happening right now? Some say yes, some say no, uh, and we need to answer that question. The mark of the beast, the seals, 
and the judgments and the um, uh, tribulation saints, people that come to Christ during the tribulation. Um, uh, how does that happen? And so why don't I just say, oh, party down now and we'll just have a good time later. You know? um, and then what about the abomination that causes desolation? Anybody read that? Um, the what? You know, there are some interesting things that we're going to take a look at that all are going to happen during the tribulation. And then we're done with that tribulation period. The next question that we're going to ask is, now what? Because the tribulation is only seven years. Hmm. And what is the millennium? Hmm. What happens after that? So we've got to answer those questions. An end time study will necessarily answer all of those questions. So your homework assignment is as you as you leave here or as you are here on the on the little handouts is just make some notes and ask questions. OK, and we're going to start bringing them up because we have to answer the questions that we have. So we should be leaving here after the end of our end time study, which is going to happen in 2026. <laughs> and, <laughs> and we'll, but we need, we need to be informed <laughs> if we're still here. <laughs> Lord, please, if we're still here. Okay. 2026, there's no rush. <laughs> there's no rush. Yeah, there's no rush. And, and as we always say around here, there's really no reason to be in a hurry. What we really want to do is we want to know what the Bible says. What does God's word tell us? Um, and so that we can be informed because it brings a, a sense of peace and it brings that sense of security to us. And it also brings a sense uh, of urgency, doesn't it? The, the sense of urgency is so that because we can't save anybody, but we can certainly help facilitate giving them the knowledge so that they have the ability to, to in their own heart, make a determination what they want to do with it. So, so you know, we're, we're pretty much all going to be uh, in, in outreach ministry and evangelist by the time we're done with this because it's going to be more important, I think. What we do with our life is going to be more important when we're done. Okay? Amen. Wow. Okay, Robert, will you close us in prayer? You have uh, until the bell stops. Uh. <laughs>